Well, if that doesn't make a believer out of you, I don't know what is. Would you help me thank our worship team? Wow. Woo. My name is Rich Kidd, and I'm so delighted to be here. 20 years ago, a dynamic church plant meeting in the Contemporary Arts Center took a chance and invited an inexperienced young preacher to give the message on a Sunday morning. And 20 years later, they asked him back uh, for a second try. <laughs> I don't know whether to take that personally or to be proud of a 20-year gap between guest speaking uh, experiences here at Spring Branch. But uh, 20 years ago, Michael asked me to be the middle school youth guy. And so I was here when the church began. And uh, it, actually, as I think about it, it was really brave of him to do that because I was fresh out of seminary. I mean, I was stuffed full of theology and Greek verbs and Hebrew grammar. And he asked me to work with middle schoolers. And when they found out who was going to be their youth guy, they got scared. In fact, I heard they were terrified because they thought their summer was going to be ruined. This, this nerd guy was coming to be the youth person. And so we came up with a plan. We planned a pool party at Dave and Sandy Werewath's house. We're going to have pool party, games, and burgers. So far, so good. But I showed up dressed as a super nerd. I had a long sleeve shirt and a little pocket protector. I had shorts and mismatched dark socks. And they just knew that their life was over. And uh, I got out a Hebrew Bible and began to read. And they, they were really frightened. In fact, uh, apparently they thought because I was a nerd, I, I couldn't hear. And they were talking to each other. It's over. Our summer's ruined. Especially one kid, one boy, who was very, very verbal, about his displeasure and his frightened, uh, his fear. And he began to, you know, work the crowd and tell them. And he says, we got to ask you some questions. He says, will we be able to buy fireworks on our way to the retreat like we usually do? And I said, I, no, next question. Uh, he, I noticed that this boy was always arguing with this young blonde. And, and they, they just didn't get along too well. And so that was how I met Nina and Travis Simone. Those of you who don't know, that's the pastor's son. And uh, we got along great. You know, I, uh, at the end of that meeting, came back out in my normal clothes, and I said, you know, uh, sometimes God surprises us. Sometimes you think your life is over, but God has a surprise. I said, I do really know Greek and Hebrew, but I want to tell you about the Jesus who always blows your expectations. Have you noticed that about God, that he surprises you? That you give him the plans for your life and he laughs? Have you noticed this? That God insists on being God and he does things his way. Today, I would like to introduce you to a man named Elijah, a prophet from the Bible in the book of 1 Kings who discovers that God sometimes surprises. His plan A went away. For those of you who maybe are unfamiliar with this story or church is a new thing for you, let me give you the update. This guy Elijah is God's prophet. He's amazing. Of all the Old Testament prophets, perhaps he is the most spiritual. He raises a boy from life. He 
prays a prayer and the rain and the dew stops, bringing the economy of a nation to a standstill. And in the passage just before ours, 1 King 18, he has had a showdown of an anti-idolatry campaign, him on one side, versus 850 prophets of Baal. King Ahab and uber-villainous Queen Jezebel are on the one side, only Elijah on the other, and he calls down a predator drone strike of God's glory, which consumes the mountain and all of the sacrifice that was there, proving once for all he was worshiping the one true God. That's where we find our man, a literal mountaintop experience. But immediately after, we hear these words. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. And Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Our prophet gets a surprise. Just after winning the spiritual Super Bowl, his life is threatened and he runs into the desert. He disappears like a scared rabbit, hiding under a bush, asking God to take his life. The end of the story, he's hiding in a cave, saying, what am I doing here? Today's message isn't for everyone. It's only for people whose plan A has been set aside, who are looking at rebellious children, lost jobs, financing that fell through, a marriage that didn't make it. If you're living in plan B today, surprised by God, then I want to suggest to you Elijah has a lesson for you and for me. What am I doing here? Let's pray. God, just a few moments that we have together, would you please make my words your words and give us a message of hope today that comes from your word. I ask it in Christ's name. Amen. So how about your neighborhood? What does it look like for Halloween? Everybody decorate for Halloween? They have the big blow-up. Halloween ghouls, do they have the graves and the skeletons that come out of the ground? Surely somebody has that wonderful symbol. I, you know, my neighbor put out holiday lights, but they're orange. Now that really scared me. I, I, I didn't really understand that. But surely you have seen this symbol of evil somewhere. Do we have, do we have the picture? Yes, that is pure evil, right? Somebody has a witch out there. And I want to suggest to you that this villainous in the story, Jezebel, is just as bit as evil as, uh, as this witch. She was the wicked witch of the West Bank, I, I like to say. She was just nasty. She killed prophets. She threatened people. She was cunning. She used her beauty to accomplish her purposes. So our hero, Elijah, has faced down the prophets of Baal. He's done all of this uh, uh, amazing stuff, and Jezebel comes out and gives him this message. She doesn't even show up on the scene. Did you notice that? She just sends a message, so may the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. In the original Hebrew, that means, 
I'll get you and your little dog Toto, too. Okay, not really, but it could be. Because she apparently scared him so bad that he takes off running into the desert. Now, I've thought a lot about this, and she was an evil woman. But this is a man who has personally faced death. He stared at 850 armed priests, un, uh, unscared, they were unashamed just to cut themselves to tell their God that they were serious. He faced them down. He looked Ahab in the face. He said, you're a sinner. What was so scary about Jezebel? Why did he run away? Well, let me suggest to you, that's the way fear works. What are you afraid of? What brings cold chills to your spine? Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, says this, Elijah failed in the very point at which he was strongest, and that is where most men fail. In Scripture, it is the wisest man who proves himself to be the greatest fool. The meekest man, Moses, spoke hasty and bitter words. Abraham failed in his faith, Job in his patience, so he who was the most courageous of all men, fled from an angry woman. That's Charles Spurgeon. Do you have ophidiophobia, the fear of snakes? Arachnophobia, the fear of spiders? Acrophobia, the fear of heights? Do you fear public speaking, airplanes, dogs? Jennifer Aniston, Cher, and Whoopi Goldberg are afraid of flying. Barbara Streisand, afraid of strangers. Michael Jackson, he was afraid of contaminating infections and disease. Woody Allen, afraid of insects, dogs, deer, bright colors, children, heights, small rooms, crowds, cancer, and apparently Mia Farrow. <laughs> you know, it's easy to laugh at the fears of others, but what grips us is real. It's in our head. We think that it's going to get us. Jezebel was the ancient boogeyman, and he was absolutely frightened. So let me ask you this morning, what is frightening you from what God has called you to do? What keeps you up late at night, unable to sleep, breaking out in a cold sweat? What are you afraid of? Because the truth is, the first step into the valley, Elijah is a a visionary in the valley. He's a man of God who's lost his mojo. And the very first step into that valley is fear. The story continues. Pick up with me in verse 3. When he, that is Elijah, came to Beersheba and Judah, he left his servant there. And while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush. And he sat down under it, and he prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. I see him like this. I've had enough, Lord. Very dramatic. Oh, woe is me. <laughs> Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. And then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. If Moses went out into the desert to see a burning bush, Elijah went out to the desert to a burned-out bush. You see, the broom tree was a very small shrub, not very large, just enough for one person to find shelter in the desert. As he came under that, he may very well have come upon a fire left by the embers of the broom tree. Because the broom tree was known for its charcoal. 
some traveler probably left a fire there that had gone out, only embers left. It's a picture of the prophet's life. The great Moses went and saw a burning bush where Elijah was just burned out. Take my life, he prays. I'm no better than my ancestor. In the original language, he, he really just has one word in his prayer, Rav, enough, enough. I've had enough. You know, parents uh, say funny things. No offense to all you parents who are here, but you know, growing up, you kind of wonder if your parents are crazy. You know, they say things to you like, don't look at me in that tone of voice. Sit down, stand up, get over here, sit down, raise your voice. What are you yelling at me for? My dad would say things like, boy, I'm a jerk and not in your hind leg. Somewhere in my teens, I asked which one was my hind leg. That was, was not such a good idea. But one of my favorite was, son, I have had it up to here with you. Well, couldn't you have told me down here somewhere so I'd slow down? You know, I never got any warning. It was only here. Now, I never asked what would happen if you went over that line, but it was, there was an enough line. Parents, am I right? Is there, they had an enough line. And Elijah had reached his enough line. He said, enough. I've had it up to here. We were preparing, my family and I, I have three children, a girl, sweet as she can be, and then two boys in a row. And they're always up to something. And we were heading on vacation to go down to the beach. And I'd been packing the car all morning, as only dads can do. Had everything perfectly in line, uh, space economized. Everything was in the car. I began to warn the children with 30 minutes left. The timer was on. You need to be in the car at this time. The little one obeyed. The oldest one, being a girl, always did what was correct. And the middle one paid no attention to what I said. He headed out to the backyard to play soccer, where in fact he is right now in Richmond. But that's another story. If I check a text, I'm looking at the finals of the President's Club, uh, Cup, and they're playing right now. So uh, I'll look right after I finish uh, speaking. But he went out and uh, was kicking soccer like he loves to do. So I give him the warning. Now, the time is getting short. I need you in the car in 10 minutes. I need you in the car in five minutes. Okay, everyone is in the car. I need you in the car. One more goal, Dad. Okay. We're all in the car. We're watching as if in horror. The last goal, the ball sails over the goal right into the middle of our bay window, which shattered in a million pieces. And I said, I will jerk a knot in your hind leg. I have had it up to here with you, right? Now we know why our parents were so crazy. Because they'd had it up to here. Elijah said, enough. So what makes you scream, enough? Is it the day at the office? Is it the financing that falls through? Is it the marriage that just won't work? What makes you pray, enough? We see that Elijah was vulnerable if you look at the text, you find out that he was hungry. The angel has to tell him to eat something. The text tells us that he was angry. 
He was a type A personality. You know, now I used to think that type A was a compliment. Someone said, boy, you are really a type A personality. I'd say, well, thank you very much. I'm trying for A+. Do you know what type A is? They did a study of all the people who were dying of heart disease. And they said, well, there's all these patient, kind, sweet people. They're not dying. We'll call them type B. And then there were these people who were rash, headstrong, always thought they had to have it all figured out. The ones who stand in the supermarket line counting the number of items in the people in front of it. You have 16 items. You're going to have to get out of the express line. I'm sorry. I'm in a hurry. I'm in a hurry. Can't you read? Okay, raise your hand if you've ever done that. No, don't do that. He was a type A guy, anxious and angry. He said, I alone am the prophet of God who is left. He was angry. He was lonely. And he was tired. Counselors know that. Says halt. That's when you're vulnerable to depression. The angel has it right. He says, get up and eat for the journey is too much. It's more than enough, literally you isn't that true the journey is too much i was reading on the internet on a passage page called the experience project about people who felt alone and isolated depressed in their life and they wanted to share one said i just want to sleep i can't say i want to die i just don't care to be alive uh, i end up watching a lot of tv and movies just because it gives me something else to think about and I can shut down my mind. Sometimes it's accompanied with a beer or two, he says, just enough to relax me and help me to drift off to sleep. In the morning, I wake up alone, smile through the day, and pretend nothing is wrong. Or this young woman, will things ever change, she asks. I hate the fact that I'm becoming this woman. I go to church. I know that God loves me, but sometimes I wonder why so many around me are living my dream, and I'm not. It's just not funny to me. Sometimes I tell myself, God must really have something grand for me to have done some of these things, but then 12 years later, nothing has changed. I'm still miserable and depressed, singing the same church songs I've been singing for so long, why did he keep me around for this? What am I doing here? Someone is asking. 8% of the U.S. population over 12 is depressed in any two-week period. Men and women ages 40 to 59 have the highest rates of depression in any age group. 7% for male, 12% for female. Antidepressants have seen a 5 time increase in the last 12 years we can't pretend that this doesn't exist this is a prophet of god who in the middle of the desert has a major depressive episode with suicidal ideations we have to talk about this and say you know you may be struggling with this and you're not alone my friends bobby and debbie have been on the mission field since 1992 they went with high hopes and dreams. They've been serving God. But Debbie's health has made them come off the mission field. They don't know quite what she's wrestling with, fibromyalgia, colitis. She has headaches. She has mental 
issues, short-term memory loss. They've tried doctors. They keep trying to figure out what's wrong with her. They can't figure it out. And now this couple who has tried to serve God has been put on the sidelines. This is what he writes in his most recent prayer email. Have you ever experienced a black hole water slide where you're completely enclosed with hardly any light while you're barreling down a twisting, seemingly endless path worrying that you're going to drown at any second? If you will ever get out again. It captures a bit of the feeling that I've had at times over the last several months. On some days, I'm consumed by fear. On other days, I'm overwhelmed with gratitude. Debbie and I simply cry as we grieve the losses of her health and suddenly being jerked out of Hungary. Philip Yancey, in his book, Disappointment with God, says that those going through these issues have three questions of God. Three questions. Is God unfair? Why would he allow me to go through this? This doesn't reconcile with the biblical promises. Is God silent? Have you ever begged God for an answer only to be met by silence? What kind of father is he anyway? And third, and perhaps most difficult, is God hidden? How can I have a relationship with a person that I've never seen. Well, the good news at the depth of the depression that Elijah felt, wanting his life to end, there was a fact that he was not alone, was he? The text tells us that there was an angel there, an angel who said, Arise and eat. And he behold, there was at his head a cake. Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. God had not left him alone, but had sent an angel. When we're in the depth of depression, when we're in the valley between two mountains, we have to face our demons. But we, most importantly, have to find our angels. I was uh, trying to finish my doctorate, and about halfway through the seminary where I was at, in their great wisdom, decided to reject my thesis. I only had about a year of work into it, and they had said it was fine, but in their great wisdom, said no. So I did what any mature Christian would do. I pouted for a year. I put it on a shelf, and I said, forget it. I'll never finish it. Who needs a doctorate anyway? You know, halfway to doctor is just duh. You know, that's where I was. I was stuck on duh. And the angel came to me. And you know who the angel was? It was my wife. She said, honey, don't quit. Don't quit. I believe in you. How many of you know that the person sitting next to you may just be God's angel for your life? How many of you know that you could be an angel for the person sitting next to you? Because the truth is, one of us here is going into a valley, coming out of a valley, or in the valley right now. Somebody here may be in the valley of the shadow of death, and you may be the angel that God is speaking to to encourage them. God didn't leave Elijah alone, but there was an angel beside him. The text continues, verse 11. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. He wasn't going to be left in the desert. He wasn't going to be left in the cave. God had a plan. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. 
but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood in the mouth of the cave. And then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? This is our hero between two mountains, between Mount Carmel and Mount Horeb. Perhaps that name doesn't ring a bell for you, but for every Israelite, Mount Horeb was the mountain, the mountain of God. You may know it as Mount Sinai from the great movie, The Ten Commandments, where Charlton Heston met God, right? No, just kidding. Charlton Heston, a.k.a. Moses, is on top of Mount Sinai with those two uh, tablets of stone. This is the mountain. Keep in mind that Elijah was so scared that when he heard Jezebel was out to get him, he ran 108 miles out into the middle of the desert. That would be like today, you say, man, that sermon was so bad. You may, you may be thinking that. I'm going to walk to Richmond. Okay, that's 108 miles. And then he takes off and goes into the middle of the desert further, all the way down to the Sinai Peninsula, to Mount Sinai, a.k.a. Horeb. And there he finds a cave, but it's not just any cave, it's the cave in the original language. It's the cave where Moses hid in the cleft of the rock. You see, Moses was 40 days on the mountain and 40 nights. Elijah took 40 days and 40 nights to get there. Moses complained to God about being alone under the burdens of leadership. Elijah complained alone about the burdens of leadership. For Moses, God put him in the cleft of the rock in the cave and his glory passed before him. And for Elijah, he was in the cave, the very same cave. What I want to say to you is that if you're in this kind of depression, if you're in a valley, where you take refuge makes a difference. This is what the scripture says, Lord, my God, I take refuge in you. Save and deliver me from all who pursue me. Psalm 7.1. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Psalm 46. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Psalm 34. The Lord is my rock, my fortress and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. Though he was in the dark, though he was the man of God who lost his mojo, he did know at least enough to take refuge in God alone. And there he heard the good news. He heard the whisper of hope. Because in his life, he had experienced the dramatic moves of God. Some of you have seen God do the most amazing things. This church in itself is an amazing miracle of God. When I first was here and started, it was just a small group of people. You should know that the very existence of this church is a miracle. God has done great things. Sometimes he moves in the dramatic, a literal mountaintop experience with Elijah, someone come to life, God speaking in the thunder and the lightning, but sometimes, sometimes God whispers. The New Revised Standard Version translates this, the sheer sound of silence. 
I want you to know that silence doesn't mean God is gone. I want you to know that silence doesn't mean he's forgotten you. I want Elijah to tell you, just because you feel alone and depressed and in the dark doesn't mean God isn't in the process of rescuing you. How many of us remember in the year 2010, the great Chilean mining disaster? Do you remember? There for 69 days following a collapse of this mine, an ancient mine, old mine from the 19th century, uh, these miners, 33 miners, were trapped. I want you to imagine what it would have been like to be trapped in a cave for that long. Two months without light of day. Every other day they had two spoonfuls of tuna and half a biscuit. They had no idea if they were going to be rescued. And for 17 days we didn't know that they were alive. But a message came through and so a massive worldwide effort went into rescuing these guys. They had no idea. They're in the dark. They're depressed. They're down. But outside, we set up the Camp of Hope. Do you remember? We watched it on TV every day. The Camp of Hope, the best minds in the world, put to work to rescue these people from their predicament. They had no idea. But finally, this tube system is sent down. And the message came back, we are well, true story, we are well in the refuge all 33 of us. Imagine if that first rescuer had gotten down into the cave and those people said, ah, we're good. We got a little more tuna left. We're just going to chill here with the biscuits and hang out. I don't really like the sun anyway. How odd would that have been? When rescue comes, you have to grab on to that hand, don't you? And so Elijah comes out of his cave Imagine if Lazarus had heard the voice of Jesus calling his name and he said, that's good, I'm just going to chill here. I'm a little you know, wrapped up right now, so I'm just going to hang out here in the dark, depressed and alone. But how many times do we miss the rescue of God? Today, I want to talk to those of you who are on plan B, maybe plan C, D or E. God has surprised you and your life didn't turn out the way you thought. You're in the hole, you're by the bush, you're saying, what am I doing here? What I want to suggest to you is that God is outside of your cave. He's in an all-out rescue operation to pull you out. You may not think anybody knows and anybody cares, but God is speaking to you today. Let's pray. Lord, yours is the hand of rescue. You want us to sing that song, I am set free. Lord, for everyone who's hearing my voice today who finds themselves in a valley, they've lost their mojo. They're a visionary in the valley. They don't know where you are. They don't know what is happening. God, would you give them hope today? Would you let your voice ring clear just as it did to Elijah? Would you let them hear the whisper?
God, why we are here today is to meet you, the God who is rescuing us, the God who reaches out a hand to save. We will say, I will worship here. I will still believe. In Jesus' name I pray it.